Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wish I could make you see this brightness. Don't worry. All is well. All is so perfectly, damnably well. I understand now that boundaries between noise and sound are conventions. All boundaries are conventions waiting to be transcended. One may transcend any convention if only one can first conceive of doing so. In moments like this, I can feel your heart beating as clearly as I feel my own. And I know that separation is an illusion. My life extends far beyond the limitations of me. From Cloud Atlas, a little nod to Gordon White, since this often means another nod to Chris Knowles, our astral guest in this eternal now. And it's all a big nod to Gnosis. Always the realization that it's time to break down all those conventions of normative society. For the awakening of an individual is a cosmic rebellion. As the Sufi poet Rabia once said, I carry a torch in one hand and a bucket of water in the other. With these things I am going to set fire to heaven and put out the flames of hell so that voyagers to God can rip the veils and see the real goal. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. All is well. As you and I now know, we extend far beyond our egoic constructs. Beyond is the mind of the alien god, that font of imagination and innovation. What it reveals in us is that we can create better than the creator gods and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment. All fellow members of the Roman Senate, hear me. Shall we continue to build palace after palace for the rich? Or shall we aspire to a more noble purpose and build decent housing for the poor. How does the Senate vote? Fuck the poor! Good. That we have unlimited potential to make something new and unheard of in this tired, mechanistic universe. That we are legion and we are legend. We high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. As Ananda Kumaraswamy said, 
The artist is not a special kind of person. Rather, each person is a special kind of artist. And as William Blake wrote, I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. I will not reason and compare. My business is to create. If we live our lives the right way, then every single thing we do becomes a work of art. All is well, and it's time to burn heaven down and drown hell. Time to transcend all those boundaries. Nobody can do it better than we of the broken places. And the best place to do it is here. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio, an initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult, culture, and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host, Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. As mentioned, Chris Knowles materializes at the virtual Alexandria. Few cats have a vision like him to see beyond the horizons of the Black Iron Prison to grass where all boundaries dissolve, like those clouds in your coffee, clouds in your coffee. Since we live in a collapsing Western culture, losing its imagination and soaked in mind control masked as entertainment, it's a good time to expose the nigh death of the comic book hero and honor a Gnostic visionary who took us so close to those archetypes that our superheroes rose from. An individual who broke so many conventions. That is Jack Kirby. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Your Kundalini will get erect. Rise up to bite your Ouroboros after our interview. And you know Chris will touch on so many other high weirdness topics. You just know. What do you think, Billy Butcher from the comic book series The Boys? This is like that scene in The Matrix. Now, you could take the fucking red pill, right? Spend the rest of your life jacking off crying into your chai tea green latte what the fuck or you could take the blue pill or was it the red pill anyway take the other pill and quit being a cunt which pill do you want me to take just quit being a cunt that's what i'm saying our lives stretch far beyond our meat sack aspect all is well 
Gnosis is gonna take us so goddamn far in our business to create. Especially if we understand the legacy of Jack Kirby. Bringing this all together, and thanks for that one, Nate. It was Rudolf Steiner, 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 who said, The artist surpasses nature. He extracts her archetypal essence. And this is what the true artist renders. By penetrating into the creative depths of nature, he creates something real and achieves a certain release for himself. What unites people? Armies? Gold? Flags? Stories. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And who has a better story? It should be mentioned that the Gnostic is different than the mystic. As a scholar said, mysticism is at its core a love story. One where the chosen mortal is a submissive and passive receiver of the energy and information sperm of spiritual agents. Whether it's Teresa de Avila or Mohammed or Joan of Arc, the mystic just takes it and often is broken mentally or physically by the numinous wooing. In many ways, this is no better than Zeus coming down from Olympus to chase a mortal skirt. Submissive and passive, the divine is mostly in control. Release the Kraken! But it's different for the one leveraging Gnosis. Whether it's the Hermetic, Neoplatonist, Merkabah Jew, or Sethian, or even Buddhist. No, they are questing shamans and spiritual offworlders. They take that perilous night's journey to the divine and court it halfway. Sometimes further, by standing before the throne of God or the one or the ground of being. The Gnostic-minded seeks and prowls and overtakes with the passion of a hunting Artemis. They accept consent, but never stop the pillow-talking on the nature of reality and cosmic liberation. Love isn't something we invented. It's... maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. Sometimes they might go too far, like in the Nag Hammadi Library's Zoroastrianos. After astral traveling to the upper realms, Zoroastriano stands before the alien god and gets too flirty and aggressive, being slightly shit-faced with celestial power. And then he is quickly ejected from the pleroma like a drunk frat boy being rude to a patron in a bar. Yet he is transformed and he'll do it again, knowing to keep his ego hands to himself. So I say, screw mysticism 
And let's be spiritual off-worlders. Let's break those boundaries and extend beyond ourselves, because that is our birthright, damn it. And Hermes and Sophia are always with us, because they are the deities of doorways, and like to play a sensual trick or two, even on the higher realms. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. I quoted the Sufi Rabia, but how about Omar Khayyam, who wrote, I sent my soul through the invisible, some letter of that afterlife spell, and by and by my soul returned to me, and answered I myself am both heaven and hell. So the heaven we burn and the hell we douse is just as much an internal process as it is a journey to stand before the throne of God or the one or the ground of being. All separation is an illusion and all learning is remembering as Plato said. See how this works? My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake, and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. At the very least, our transformation will stop Hollywood from putting out really shitty comic book movies. Okay, let's go see this latest piece of Marvel shit you kids are jizzing over. Yeah, uh, about time. Enough tarnishing the contributions of Gnostic visionaries like Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, and, yes, Jack Kirby. Well, I think Neil Gaiman has done enough damage on his own by the adaptations we've gotten. American gods and good omens were pure Gorgon shit. And I don't have much hope for the Sandman. Make good art. But enough of my drivel. Led us to an exciting and profound interview with Chris. Write your own gospel, live your own myth, and listen to the message of Bill Hicks. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud, and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real, or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us, and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride, and we kill those people <laughs> shut him up we have a lot invested in this ride shut him up look at my furrows of worry look at my big bank account and my family this is, has to be real it's just a ride but we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that you ever notice that and let the demons run amok but it doesn't matter because it's just a ride and we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to 
Put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off the eyes of love. Instead, see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever in peace. This is the A.M. Byte interview, and as always and forever, it is a great honor and pleasure to have back Chris Knowles. Chris, how are you doing, and thanks for coming back. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm doing as well as can be expected. There you go, under the oppressive yoke of the Archons. We do what we can. Yeah, the Archons are really tightening the, uh, <laughs> the manacles, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes, yes. It's almost too obvious. And with us, we also have the pleasure of having the Moondog, Vansachi. Vance, how are you under the oppressive yoke of the Archons? Oh, straining away at the yoke, as usual. And uh, tonight, we probably will be talking about comic books. And I happen to just remember, my one of my earliest memories is flushing comic books down the toilet when I was three years old. My mother was so mad. What were you reading? <laughs> I don't remember what the comics were, but I flushed them. I, I thought it was really cool seeing him swirl down the down the you know down the down the drain. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, Chris, I don't know where you would like to start. Obviously, I want to give some homage to Jack Kirby, so he he is never forgotten, and this younger generation can sort of remember how he is probably the greatest influence in modern comics. But I wanted to start with, uh, when was the last time you watched a comic book hero film? I don't know. I burnt out on those things a long, long time ago. I, I have no interest in any of that stuff at all. I mean, it's all dead, by the way. I mean, the, the MCU is dead and the DC universe isn't going anywhere. I mean, it, it's really over in a way that, you know, people have been saying for years that <clears throat> comic books and superheroes were over. But they hadn't been exploited, you know, to their fullest potential like they had been for the past 15 years or so. Mm. But now, I mean, it's over. I mean, it really is over. Um, the, now uh, that the mouse has a hold of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I've been I was working freelancing for Marvel for, gosh, 25 years, I guess. And um, I just remembered you know, it was back in 2009 or whatever, like when I heard they sold out to, to, to Disney, I was just so disappointed. I was just like, you know, you guys could have kicked their ass. You could have just, I don't know. I, you know, cause they'd done the first Iron Man movie. They didn't need Disney. Disney needed them, but they didn't need Disney. And I think it was a terrible mistake. Um, I think, you know, Disney is just, you know, our, the archon of archons, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, I just remember, like, it was a lot of fun, you know, before they sold out to Disney, you know? I mean, going up there, going up to the Marvel offices was always, like, fun. You know, it, had, it was, like, a real relaxed atmosphere. And then they moved to, like, this really, I mean, this space that was, like, an insurance company I, it was so oppressive you know but the funny thing is i mean back in the when i was working you know 
so I started working for them in 95 and when, and that's when they were toy biz, right? I mean, the company that's Marvel was originally, well, not originally, of course, but the company now was toy biz. And I started working, doing Marvel stuff in 95. And then they, you know, Marvel went bankrupt Marvel as it stood prior to toy biz buying them out. They went bankrupt. So like, you know, I wasn't getting work for a couple of years and then I started really kicking in like 2005 and it was just, it was just a lot of fun. But you know, if you went up there, right, if you went up to the old Marvel offices, the actual comics was like this <laughs> little cubby hole tucked in the back. Really? Comic, <laughs> comic books don't make any money. I mean, I, I remember having, um, having lunch with a, you know, a VP at Marvel. I mean, he's no longer there, but, um, so we had gone out to lunch. This was around Christmas time, I guess in 2012. I mean, he told me flat out, he said, comics don't make money. You know, the graphic novels and all that kind of stuff. It's just a huge money drain and they just do it so they can keep this, the, the, the dream alive, I guess, you know, they can keep the, the illusion alive that, you know, comic books are this magical place where all these great characters come from. And really, I mean, at that point in time, <clears throat> I mean, Marvel hadn't created anything new in, in a dog's age, really longer, I would say. So it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, we're talking about Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby died in early 1994. And that was just as what was called the direct market. And I can explain that in a minute, but just as like the comics industry, which was going full bore, you know, after the Batman movie. I mean, it was just a boom town. And um, just as the market was starting to tank, because it was all built on speculation, you know, it was all built on people buying 500 copies of Superman dying or something, you know, whatever book you can name. I mean, just in, in, in hopes that, you know, it was going to be worth money someday. And it was just, it was ludicrous because everybody else was buying 500 copies of it as well, you know? So, I mean, you could, you know, use that stuff, you know, use these quote unquote valuable comics to line your bird cages with, you know? Um, <laughs> so just as the, just as, you know, really the, the classic comic book market was dying, Jack Kirby died. So it's, you know, it's very, very appropriate. You know, it, it reminds me of the you know stories that, you know, I've heard in my family, you've probably heard in your family when, you know, the, <clears throat> the grandfather dies, the grandfather clock stops working, you know? And um, I don't know if you have, have any of those stories like that in your family, but um, it's, yeah, it's the exact same kind of thing. I mean, Kirby was really the lifeblood of the industry because, you know, it went from being, you know, say like when Vance was a kid, you had a whole range of, comics to buy you know you had humor you know like all the archie books you had the disney books you had just a whole rent you know war books mystery books you name it i mean it was just a whole plethora of titles and you know the comics um were just slowly taken over by the superheroes until a point where this you know superheroes were the, generally the only things making money uh, except for a brief time you had like books like the sandman by neil gaiman uh doing pretty well so um yeah it was all too appropriate you know um uh, the funny thing is i mean the the market has always been 
rather corrupt. I mean, comic books really started as a way to launder money, you know, for organized crime to launder um, really wow. uh, pro- prohibition money. You know, I mean, not not just comics. I mean, they're using a lot of magazines. You know, but um, you 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 had all these newsstands. You know, cash only, no receipts. Um, it was just a great way to launder money. So the comics were um, really a great medium for, for laundering money. And then, um, you know, you had the rise of the superheroes, which really took off with uh, World War I. I'm sorry, <laughs> World War II. I mean, really, the original superheroes arose uh, around World War I and the pulps. I mean, the superheroes as we know them are all just basically ripoffs of earlier pulp characters, for instance, the Batman is just the shadow. It's just basically the same character. Um, you know, the Batman is an interesting character because it's just, uh, it's a collage of absolute plagiarisms <laughs> from top to bottom, but Superman too. I mean, Superman's really a ripoff of a character named Doc Savage, who was a, a popular character in the pulps as well. So, I, you know, it's always been like a, a really dirty, scuzzy, scummy, penny ante business. Um, you had uh, a lot of the artists who were working for the comic book studios, you know, not only were they just getting totally chiseled and ripped off um, by the, uh, the publisher and so on, but that, you know, they were a lot of times forced to moonlight drawing what are called Tijuana Bibles, which are just basically these pornographic comics using, you know, well-known characters. I mean, you'd have like a moon Mullins or bringing up father, or, you know, whatever comics were popular. Cause I mean, comic books were trash and, you know, comics that people recognized and people respected were in the, uh, the Sunday papers and so on. Prince Valiant, Flash Gordon, all that kind of stuff. Right. Dondi, Dick Tracy. Dondi? Where yeah, did that come? Dondi. That's random. I, I, you know, I knew the guy who do that. <laughs> I knew Erwin Hayes and he, um, he was actually, when I went to the Kubert school, he was a teacher there. And, uh, but boy, um, <laughs> yeah, it was on the back of the uh, funnies. Um, every Sunday, we used to get Dondi. <laughs> That's so random. Smoke. That's yeah, so smoke. random. That's just like, what? Dondi? That's like, can you think of a more obscure character? I mean, Dondi was actually popular for a, a short while. And then, um, you know, I remember he was talking about like the royalties that, you know, because the newspaper comic book industry is a strange industry and kind of works on this weird payroll system with royalties and so on. You're not actually paid a salary. You're sort of paid like, it's very com- complicated, but um, you know, he was just basically making next to nothing off that, that, that uh, strip. So he had to stop doing it in the eighties. Huh? He had a prominent place on, in the funnies though. He was right on the back of the funnies. Dick Tracy was on the front. Uh, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe that was just unique to your paper, but New York, <laughs> New York. Yeah, well, I'm saying like whatever. I don't know what paper it was, but yeah. Daily News. Daily News. Yeah. So, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to talk about friggin' Dondi, all right? <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> I don't even remember what it was about. So, oh, so it was like this paper. little orphan boy, and right had like eyes with no, you know. <laughs> right. That's a little orphan Andy. These too. big black circles, you know, for eyes. Um. I'm sure Disney will try to reboot it to make two hundred million dollars or something. So mm, no, they'll, they'll I don't know. There, there's something that anything. 
Yeah, I think there are some things that are just dead, you know, and I think Dondi's probably pretty safely dead, you know, just like yeah. the Wizard of Is Wizard of It is dead, and <laughs> bringing up Mama is dead, and you know, Mary Worth, DC <laughs> and Mary Worth, and Apartment Three G, and <laughs> Smoky Stover, Smoky Stover, and Moon Mullins, and all that's you know, I, I think those things are safely in the past. I, you know, it's funny because I remember when. I was working in New York uh, and I was doing licensed t-shirts and stuff. Every year we'd go to the licensing show and there was always somebody who was trying to revive like these dead ass licenses from like the thirties, you know, um, they're always trying to get these things going cause they bought them cheap. You know, they bought the rights to them cheap and they're always thinking, Oh, you know, we're just around the corner from a, a Mandrake, the magician, you know, revival or smoky stove or whoever i mean i don't even know <laughs> and you just sit there and look at it like n these sad sacks just sitting in these booths with like nobody coming up to talk with them because nobody had any interest in these 60 year old properties you know that were dead 25 years before you know so anyway that's neither here nor there but that is the, the vagaries so so comic books you know are were scuzzy scummy business um, you know, you had the guys who created Superman, you know, they got pretty much ripped off, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, who we're going to talk about, you know, got ripped off quite a bit. He was very bitter about it. Um, Bob Kane, you know, who, who didn't create Batman, <laughs> the man who didn't create Batman, but his name is, you know, assigned to all the strips. Um, he was very smart. Um. He faked his, uh, so he signed a contract with what was back then called National Periodical Publications, aka DC. They were later called DC after Detective Comics, but um, he had signed a contract with them. And then when he sued them to renegotiate, he produced a, a birth certificate. Because this is back in the day when you could just, you know, just bring a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Just anything, you know, I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> It wasn't, you know, there were no computers, right? All right. So he just uh, brought in this thing saying, you know, I was only 17 when I signed that that contract, so it's not legally binding. So, you know, he screwed the screwers, you know. He he, <laughs> he ripped off the ripoff artists, and you, you kind of have to respect him for that. I mean, he was a scumbag, too. I mean, he was he was a, you know, total dirtbag, and, uh, like, everything, you know, pretty much, there, were, there was... Uh, other artists working from a guy named Bill Finger and a guy named Jerry Robinson. I mean, he had all these people working for him who were really creating the characters and doing all the work and stuff. And he was just basically signing his name. In the early days, he did his like really shitty drawings and stuff, which, you know, were all swipes and everything. I mean, they're really, I mean, the comic book business is like really scuzzy. Um, and it always has been really scuzzy. And you know, guys like Jack Kirby, you know, they, they, tried to get out i mean kirby tried to do a, a newspaper strip in the 50s called sky masters uh it was like actually an interesting strip because it was very much like a precursor to the whole nasa thing you know you had a lot of it was about an astronaut and you had a lot of the um you know the equipment and the rockets and all this kind of stuff that were starting to be developed you know he was incorporating into the strip but um yeah, I mean, he tried to get out and he couldn't and he ended up back, you know, back working for Stan Lee, who was, you know, 
paying the lowest page rates in the business. But, you know, Kirby had burned his bridges at DC and couldn't get work anywhere. And uh, he tried getting work at Classics Illustrated. And he, actually, one of the books he did, which is, you know, fascinating to me, was uh, Last Days of Pompeii by Bulwer Lighton, which is all about the ISIS cult and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, so, but he, he uh, tried, you know, working for them and he couldn't really hack working for them. And He's doing some work for Harvey and the books weren't selling. And, you know, he kind of ended up with Stan Lee basically out of desperation because he's basically considered a has-been, which is ironic to me because, you know, he was doing some really beautiful work. I think a lot of the problems was that he was doing a lot of the inking himself or he was having actually his wife ink it and it wasn't really serving the work. But, you know, Stan Lee got some really good inkers to do his, uh, you know, his finished art and, um, you know, it really starts flowered from there. But Jack Jacqueline ended up there because nobody else would hire him. And you have a lot of people like a lot of these Kirby sycophants and Kirby cultists um, who um, attack Stan morning, noon and night. And it just really pisses <laughs> yeah. me off. It really drives me crazy because um, I mean, Stan was a fucking mensch, man. I mean, he did Jack. <laughs> no, he really was. I mean, Kirby blamed Stan for the stuff that Martin Goodman, who was who owned Marvel at the time, was really responsible for. Uh, and Jack, Jack, uh, you know, really got his ass pulled out of the fire by Stan more than once. And uh, unfortunately, Jack surrounded himself with a bunch of sycophants and yes men who um, poisoned him against uh, Stan Lee, which is really unfortunate. Uh, I, I think the two sort of had like a um, a reconciliation toward the end of Jack's life. But um, yeah, it was ugly and unfortunate. I mean, I think Kirby had a right to be bitter, but I don't think, you know, blaming Stan was really the right way to go. Um, what about uh, artistic collaboration? Were they like uh, Lennon and McCartney or? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, what a lot of it is, is that Kirby is like a guy who could just, I mean, he was an idea machine, you know what I mean? I mean, just ideas just popping out of him morning, noon, and night. I mean, he couldn't put a pen to pencil, I mean, a, a pencil to paper without creating a new character or some new machine or spaceship. I mean, he was just incredibly just automatically creative. I, I think he was definitely somewhere, you know, not too far, but I think he was definitely leaning in on the spectrum, right? You know, maybe like high functioning Asperger's, but, um, but his problem was is that he could never tell the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. And he didn't know how to like, I don't know. It's like, he didn't really know how to put things together. You know, he had a lot of ideas, but he didn't really know how to make them appeal, you know, like package them in a way that, that people would really relate to the characters and so on. So Stan was great at that, you know? So it was a real synergy between the two because Stan would say, I don't know, Jack, do a story about a UFO invasion or whatever. And Kirby would just do this crazy story and, and create like 10 million different alien races <laughs> and 10 million spaceships and just total like amazing creativity. But, but Stan was the guy who was like, you know, molding it and shaping it and like, you know, uh, bouncing pages left and right. Like this, this, doesn't make any sense redraw this you know redraw that panel redo this you know which stan was i mean jack was okay with uh with doing you know and then stan would come in with his uh his dialogue and he was just a great dialogue man 
you know i mean i you know i really learned to love the english language reading stanley dialogue you know stanley was really influenced by shakespeare and the bible and all this kind of stuff you know he really had like that classical orientation you know like he was very very heavily influenced by shakespeare so um you know he also had a great sense of humor i mean you know stan was just a you know the two of them were just miracles you know i mean the two of them were just incredible and um and you know unfortunately stan wasn't the guy you know making the decisions about royalties and ownership and so on you know that was all upstairs but jack like i said didn't really he didn't really glean that that stan was like you know he was the editor-in-chief but he wasn't the owner you know he wasn't the, the person who was holding all these copyrights and again like i said like jack had surrounded himself with all these sycophants and um you know like i said they poisoned him against him i mean J- jack was definitely right that he had created all these characters and he should have gotten more credit. But by the same token, I mean, he knew the business. I mean, he wasn't a kid at this point in time, like say by the time he had left Marvel, he had been in the business for 35 years. I mean, he had owned his own company, you know, the same arrangements that he had to sign, like work for hire and all this kind of thing, which basically means, you know, it's like you're painting somebody's house. You don't own the house, just basically the same kind of deal. You know, you're hired to do this work and then that's the end of it. You know, so I mean, he knew the game. He'd been around, you know, he had, he had been through all these different lawsuits with all these people. I mean, he was, he was not stupid, but I think he just was so lost in these fantasy worlds, particularly by the end of the seventies. And, uh, I, I definitely believe that he was, um, uh, well, we can get into that later, but I think some somehow there was some um, chemical augmentation at work because his his whole vision just changed literally. I'm not I'm not saying like overnight, like as the figure of speech, like his work just changed overnight. It just went from like pretty much standard comic book superheroes of the time to just being like pulsating waves of energy and nebula and everything was cosmic <laughs> and everything was just yeah. total endless psychedelic freak out. And, you know, kind of my theory about that is that he, um, he was in the war and he was a reconnaissance guy. So he was basically behind enemy lines a lot and he had gotten himself into some really hairy situations yeah. and World you know, war two for the audience. Yes. And one of the things that I heard is that he and his, um, I don't know what the terminology would have been like squadron or something, but he and his boys had been captured by the SS and were being interrogated and somehow it escaped. So, um, and then he was sent home with frostbite. I mean, he nearly had to have his legs amputated because um, he had gotten frostbite so bad. So I, I think that he is a serious P- PTSD case. You know, I think he had some serious shell shock as they used to call it. And I would not be surprised if one of the, you know, somebody at the VA, <laughs> you know, yeah. he was going for treatment <laughs> saying, well, just try this, Jack, you know, um, just, it's a little, just a piece of paper, put it underneath your tongue, you know, uh, <laughs> new experimental drug. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, because his work just became absolutely psychedelic. Uh, 
overnight. I mean, like one one issue, he's just doing like you know this and that and the other thing, and the next night he's or the next issue he's doing like everything's like pulsing waves of cosmic energy and just absolutely insane. So, um, wow. And he's if you, I'm sure back then if you were captured by the SS, an American soldier, he would not have told him. He wouldn't say I'm Jewish. I'm sure they yeah. were trying to keep their mouth shut. Like, mm, no, I'm a Protestant. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what, you know, like I said, I mean, this is a kind of a story that like people have sort of talked about, but apparently Jack didn't like to talk about it because it was not a pleasant uh, experience. Yeah. The things he saw and what they did to him. Shit. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing too, is that, so what had happened is that he had gotten uh, drafted and he went down to basic training, I think in Fort Benning, trying to think. But so then he gets sent overseas and he's in Patton's army, right? You know, the whole slogging through the icy forests of central Europe. And um, his, uh, uh, his CEO found out that he was an artist. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, if you're an artist, what we're going to do is we're going to send you behind enemy lines and you're going to sketch what you see and then come back and give us the drawings so we know what we're up against. And uh, I, I, can, I can't even imagine like, a more dangerous job. Ugh. You know, like, unless you were like one of those tunnel rats. But there was, a, there was a, another guy in comics, and I'm sorry I'm going to blank out on this, but I know there was a guy working in comics in the 70s who was a tunnel rat, and I wish I could remember his name. And that was like, you know, that's in Vietnam, so. But anyway, um, but before he went to war, didn't he create Captain America before with World War II? Well, I, I don't know how much he created. You know, it's 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 hard to say because he was working with a guy named Joe Simon. And Joe Simon had pretty much sketched out Captain America before Kirby got involved. I mean, this it's actually, you know, the, the provenance of it is a little shaky. You know, people have been disagreeing about it. Um but you know at if anything he co-created it right he didn't necessarily create the character on his onesies but then they um say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill what does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. So they worked for Marvel, which back then was called Timely for a little while. And they did Captain America uh, for a few issues. And then they went over to DC and created a bunch of characters that nobody really remembers anymore, uh, like the Manhunter and the Sandman and some of these characters, none of which were you know, particularly interesting. They're all sort of variations on the Captain America theme. 
Um, but, uh, and then he was drafted and the story goes that he had done like two, two years worth of comic book stories before he, you know, went to basic training and cause the guy was just a machine. I mean, he could do like five or six pages a day if he had to, which is just, I mean, there are artists who can't do five or six pages a week. Some artists who can't do five or six pages a month. So it's just, it's just really astonishing. You know, um, there's this guy, an artist, some people might be familiar with his work, this guy named Jim Woodring. He's sort of like a cartoon surrealist guy, you know, guy you'd see be in the old juxtaposed magazine or whatever. And, um, you know, he, he had worked with Kirby in animation. You know, this is towards the end of Kirby's career. And he said it was like one of those mapping machines. Or, you know, I guess, you know, that was the metaphor that he used. Like, but he, I guess to sort of translate that metaphor to modern day usage would be like, like a laser printer because he would just start up in the upper left-hand corner and just, you know, it was like a laser printer, just going just down the page, out of, out of him. Yeah. you know what I mean? And then like, he'd end up down in the lower right-hand corner. You know, so it really was like a um, like a printer. And and actually, there's another artist, uh, and ironically, another guy who was a, a veteran, this guy named Tom Sutton, who I'd interviewed back in 2000, I think. Uh, total lunatic, um, and it was the most difficult interview I've, I've ever done. But um, you know, he had said that he had went to uh, the Marvels bullpen back in the late '60s, and Kirby was in, and I guess he had to do some pages you know, redo some pages for Stan and this guy, Tom Sutton, you know, who was a pretty prodigious artist. I mean, his style was insane, but he could, he could do the work, you know what I mean? And stuff was very detailed. He said, he just watched Kirby draw and he just like felt like he should just give up right there. And then, you know, he's just like, why, why am I even bothering with this? You know? But, yeah. Uh, and it should be mentioned. Yeah. Obviously the whole Kirby Lee thing is because, um, Obviously, Kirby is behind some of the most iconic characters who are still popular today, like Thor, Hulk, the X-Men. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a few. But uh, I think Iron Man. I mean, just the entire Iron Man, MCU. Of I mean, really, yeah, yeah. You know, as, the entire well, as MCU. As we know it, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, even if those some of those storylines, like, say, like the Infinity Gauntlet wasn't Kirby written or Kirby created, I mean, it was for instance, Thanos is just a rip, a total ripoff and, and a widely acknowledged ripoff of a character Kirby created called dark side. Right. So, um, and actually dark side was in the uh, Snyder cut of the justice league movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, even if those weren't stories that he had worked on that, that were being made into those movies, like they, they were really drawing on his, his storylines, for instance, the first um, Avengers movie is very much taken from uh, one of his early issues of the Eternals. And in, now the Eternals is being made into a movie. I mean, it has from what I can see, it has absolutely nothing to do with Jack Kirby's Eternals uh, at all. Nothing, I mean, it just looks, nothing. it looks like just utter trash, <laughs> but um so there you go. I mean, but yeah, the the last Thor movie just it seems like they were doing a nod to Kirby. And that sort which of one was that? It. Um Ragnarok, the last Thor movie. Oh well that yeah, that was very conscious. I mean, they were deliberately trying to 
draw from his ideas and also the look like the graphic look they were trying to sort of adapt that on screen i mean i didn't even see that i actually watched some of it and it's just like i'm so over this this <laughs> shit and i just have no interest in it um you know one of the problems too is that you really have to see that stuff in the movies you know, I, one of the things I think is going to really hurt Hollywood, and I think you're going to start seeing a lot less CGI in movies, is that, I don't know if you've noticed it, but when you watch a movie like Endgame or whatever, it just looks stupid on, on, a, on a TV screen. It looks like a bad video game. And it looks amazing on, on the big screen, you know, because it's just the way the light processes the images in, uh, in a totally different way. When you look at it on a, on a TV screen, it just looks stupid. It's just like, yeah, that looks so incredibly fake. So with the whole move towards streaming and away from the, the theaters and the cinemas, I think that um, it's going to be a rough time. I mean, I think it's, I, like I said, I think it's over. I mean, I think it reminds me of like, you know, starting after Star Wars, you just saw this, unending string of science fiction movies right you know some of them were good some of them were bad um but it really started to run out of steam in like the late 90s you know because everything just has it's a lot of time and if you look at the modern superhero age it really starts with uh the first x-men movie in 2000 exactly yes so that's really so that's you know that's your 20 years you know that's a good good chunk of time and um everything has its beginning and its end i mean the westerns were kind of over by you know the 70s you know you had some popular westerns with clint eastwood or something like rooster cogburn or true grid or you know you did have some popular westerns but you know basically it was over you know and the, the Westerns that were popular were sort of deconstructions of the form, you know, more anti-hero oriented and so on. So what we see now is that we're seeing like the deconstructions. We're seeing um, the Scarlet Witch vision thing, Scarlet Vision, whatever it's called. Yeah, uh, WandaVision. WandaVision, Loki. yeah. Very Gnostic um, plots, but really bad writing. <laughs> yeah, and then also, uh, if you remember, people have seemed to have forgotten it already, but... Uh, legion do you remember legion yes. in the uh i it was a very very loose adaption of yeah i love that effect. series because it's all about mental insanity and all this other stuff it was more of an exploration than anything yeah and it was so different thematically and just like the whole look and texture of it but it just seems to have been flushed down the memory hole, which is, I find kind of... Oh, it was a great series. I loved it. So really so really, what happens is that towards the end of a cycle, you'll have like the parodies and the deconstructions. So you're talking about like shows like The Boys or Invincible or Jupiter's Legacy. These like, yeah, all this kind of stuff. I mean, and I, I saw it in comics, you know, because towards the end of the Silver Age, you'd have like Marvel was doing... Um, not brand Eck, which is like them doing like an old Mar like the old mad magazine that Harvey Kurtzman had done when it was done as a comic book. Like, so they were sort of parroting themselves and it was really bad, but <laughs> you know, it gets to the point, but that was when that whole age had crested. I mean, Kirby was starting to run out of ideas. Stanley was 
you know, in the office less and less and more and more writing was being done by his, you know, his lieutenants and so on. You know, so everything, every cycle has its beginning and end. And like I said, towards the end of the cycle, you can always tell that it's coming or it's there when you, like, you start to see the parodies and so on. So, um, you know, like, again, I started in comics over and over again. I mean, towards the end of what I consider the canonical age. I mean, to me, like, the canonical age of comics ends with uh, Dark Knight and Watchmen starting in, like, 86, 85, 86. Those were, like, after that, there was nothing really left to say about the medium. Well, Kingdom about, Come was huge. Well, see, but Kingdom well, again, Kingdom Come is the same thing. It's like right. it's a refutation of the values or lack thereof, you know, that were dominant. Yeah, I get it. You, you see what I'm saying? So it's like that was a, a, another end of the cycle because that Kingdom Come comes out as the direct market is crashing, you know, as the stores are all going out of business and so on. So Again, it's an inevitable process. It happens all the time. And, you know, I'm old enough to have seen this recur a few times now. So I can just tell. Um, but, you know, I mean, believe me, I know all about it because my phone isn't ringing anymore. You know, because th there's not going to be, you know, I was doing merchandising and licensing, you know, what's called consumer products. And, you know, nobody's going to want consumer products from, the Eternals at all. I guarantee you. I mean, it's just going to, I think it's, I think that movie is going to be a major clusterfuck. I really do. And it's a shame Terrible. too, because yeah, I, I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot they could have done, but they just went to this whole Benetton ad approach. Just looks like absolute <laughs> trash. And um, Shang-Chi is already, you know, gotten a lot of negative, feedback from the, the trailers and stuff so really what's happening now is so marvel is is trying to use all the characters that the comics had introduced like in the 70s when you really were reaching sort of the peak of like the original marvel universe characters like fantastic four and spider-man and so on and so forth i mean the the characters were just you know, they had said their piece. So that's when, you know, they're trying like the Kung Fu books and there were a lot of Kung Fu books being made and which is kind of stupid because it's really hard to translate the, you know, what's basically a form of dance, you know, Kung Fu is really just a very elaborate form of dancing onto the page. Right. But they were doing a lot of horror books and, you know, like, like I said, they did the Eternals, which is, you know, very much like ancient aliens kind of deal. I mean, Kirby, this, this is one thing that you know really has to be said about Kirby. He was obsessed with UFOs and he was obsessed with ancient aliens and he was doing ancient alien stories in the late fifties. All right. Do we know, did he have an encounter? Do we know, did he read something that, well, here's the deal. So he's just doing like, you know, pretty much normal comics, just, you know, you know or ordinary, just junk, just whatever. And then like starting around the time of Sputnik, he just seems to like, some switch seems to be thrown and he starts doing like all these strange stories of like being contacted by invisible satellites, sending him messages and, you know, otherworldly interdimensional imps 
living in the clouds, you know, you know, they have a, like some sort of port. He was doing a lot of stories like portals to different dimensions and so on. And stuff just got super, super weird, but like super, super like John Keel weird. You know what I mean? Not just mm-hmm. like weird, right. like weird, weird, like John Keel kind of like crazy Magonia stuff, really. Um, you know, if you want to put DC a word- did the same thing. With uh, Mr. Mixiplex and the Bizarro Superman, they had the other dimensions. That, uh, well, that yeah, yeah, but that's 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 in the forties. I mean, that's a lot earlier. So, I mean, but Kirby's doing like you got to read the stories because they're nothing like Mr. Mixiplex or <laughs> Bizarro World. It's just, like, <laughs> it's just like insanity. It's just like this guy's brain is not firing properly. And um, you know, actually, the first story he did for Stan was um i discovered the secret of the flying saucers and it was this whole story that the flying saucers were actually like beings you know they were like these cybernetic entities so um but he was just that's doing still all- a modern theory you know that's yeah uh, some yeah, that. yeah he was doing all that stuff and he's doing yeah. like all this crazy just really 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 far i mean i love that stuff i mean that's actually my favorite period like you know, before the superhero book startup, when he's just like doing all these crazy science fiction and horror stories and just ideas floating out of his brain. And, you know, Stan, like I said, Stan's hemming it all in and hammering it into to readable stories. But, um, and his draftsmanship was really, you know, that was really at his peak, which boggles my mind because he must have been doing like six or seven pages a day but it was like he was not cheating he was putting it all down on the page just absolutely amazing but um yeah something happened to him and then like i said like starting around 65 66 like the switch gets thrown and he goes from drawing like again like something that any comic book publisher you can name would be putting out there to be like absolute psychedelic insanity you know um something happened like something really profound happened to him yeah it'd be nice to know and it should be mentioned too as we're clearing up the air and i want to get back more into his uh cosmology if you want to call it but i think it's important to know and you we we talked about it last time when we did our interview on comics in 2014 but to stress Another individual that Kirby greatly influenced was George Lucas, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Lucas was, um, Star Wars is filled with knockoffs of uh, Kirby stuff. I mean, I've always seen the, you know, that core group of like Luke, Leia, Han, and Chewbacca as the Fantastic Four. You know, because like you can have like Mister Mister Fantastic as Han, and Chewie's the thing. Chewie's the thing, and there are actually some panels in Fantastic Four comics that are almost like verbatim adapted into like storyboards in Star Wars because it's just like it's so obvious that it's being based on his favorite comic book panels from Jack Kirby comics. <laughs> but there was also the thing with this whole Manichaean cosmology with the force i mean kirby called it the source and uh you know he changes it to <laughs> force i mean even the name skywalker so luke skywalker's original name was luke star killer and um around the time 
um, that Kirby put out a book called Justice Incorporated. I mean, he was just doing the art on it, but um, there was a character called the Skywalker. Interestingly enough, which is a character from the Pulps from the 30s, um, because Justice Incorporated was um, you know, another one of these adaptations of these pre comic book superheroes being done in the pulp magazines. So. Yeah. So it's good to clear the air on George Lucas. Uh, well, but you know, it's funny because even the um, Indiana Jones stuff. So Kirby, so Kirby left Marvel in the early seventies and he went to DC and um, he did a bunch of books that really, none of them really took off. And then he went back to Marvel and one of the books he did was um, Black Panther. Um, and uh, his version of Black Panther was really interesting because it was basically like, you know, King Solomon's Minds kind of deal. You know what I mean? Um, but it was, it was basically like Black Panther was basically Indiana Jones. It's a really interesting take on the character. Um, you know, and the fans all hated it because they were used to this whole like social realism kind of, you know, political kind of thing. And Kirby was just like, I don't care about that. I'm just, you know. But he originally created Black Panther, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, he created, and from what I understand, the Black Panthers, you know, the Black Panther Party took their name from the comic book character. Um, that's something I think is a little controversial. But I've heard people make that claim that they were inspired by the, you know, the character because it's, it's really the first uh, black major black superhero in in a prominent book, and it's also I mean, Kirby did the whole thing with Wakanda and everything, like Wakanda. Uh, that's all Kirby. That's not Stan. That's definitely all Kirby um, because that's at a point, you know, in the Fantastic Four run where Stan is just basically saying. You just do what you want, Jack. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to edit you and rewrite your dialogue, but whatever stories you want to do, go for it. And Kirby was just on fire, you know, on psychedelic madness fire. And, you know, so Wakanda is definitely his creation. I, I think that's pretty safe to say. And those comics are great. That, um, that run of Fantastic Four was just, I mean, you know, within a few issues of each other, he creates the Black Panther and he creates the Inhumans and he creates the Silver Surfer and he creates Galactus. I mean, just like one after the other. And wouldn't you say Galactus and the Silver Surfer, besides stuff like the Eternals and uh, Devil Dinosaur, that's really Stanley getting into some Gnostic territory. Well, I think... So, all right, so this is how Galactus starts. Stan goes... Um, why don't we have the fantastic four fight God? Right. Right. And, um, and then Kirby comes up with Galactus <clears throat> and then he draws a picture of Galactus and he has this guy on a surfboard just flying around him. And Stanley goes, you know, who the hell is that? <laughs> and he's, and Jack goes, Oh, that's the silver surfer. I, I thought like, since he's a God, he should have a herald. Right. But he yeah. also, I think Kirby went and looked at the Bible, the old Testament and was like, well, see, that's when people knew their Bibles. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's back in the day when, like, everybody studied the Bible. You know, like, he would be studying the Old Testament, you know, whatever. Um, 
but he was familiar with the New Testament too. I mean, he was familiar with all the stories, and so was um, so was Stan Lee. I mean, oh, it was just yeah. it was part of the culture, and these guys understood this stuff. It was their job too, really. So, um, yeah, just phenomenal. So made, yeah, so then he made the Silver Surfer, and I mean, Galactus to me is, and I know Jeff Kripal talks about it in Mutants and Mystics, but. Galactus is a classic demiurge. I mean, he's a supreme being that's completely ignorant of anything or anybody out there. Only he exists and he exists to consume whatever he wants. I mean, well, he's kind of like an anti demiurge, you know, he's like the inverted demiurge because the demiurge is going to, you know, he's going to urge, right? <laughs> he's going to urge for the demi. Uh, <laughs> Galactus is just there to, you know, suck it all dry. So the interesting thing about the Eternals, right? So the Eternals, again, were like, you know, Kirby was just into the whole ancient astronaut thing from day one. And really, if you read the, like, say, the early Inhuman stories, that's, they're basically the same thing. I mean, they're basically they Eternals. Are, yeah. You know what I mean? So, but Kirby creates the Celestials, right? Mm -hmm. And it's basically like an army of Galactuses. And so they come back. And they have all these great names like Arishem, you know, all these sort of pseudo Hebraic names. And um, they're back to judge, you know, they're back to judge the, the viability of the program. You know, they created these three races, man, eternal and deviant, basically man, angel and demons. And they're back to sort of figure things out and, you know, whether they want to let this, <laughs> this whole thing continue. And, um, it's ironically, I'm mean, again, like the alien movies, um, pretty famously took and a the lot Avengers, of the celestials are the ones who created the infinity stone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's not Kirby. That's see, but that's another, so, so that's not Kirby. That's, um, this really interesting guy named Jim Starlin who, uh, created Thanos by ripping off Kirby, but, um, <laughs> yeah. he was like, so he's like this Catholic boy who went to Vietnam and just sort of had his whole worldview shaken up. And then he comes back from Vietnam and like a lot of people come back from Vietnam, just becomes a total acid head hippie God. freak. And this is the thing that just boggles my mind. So there was a bunch of these guys, Jim Starlin among them, Steve Englehart. Uh, I think, they, I don't know if Harry Chaikin was in with them, but there was a bunch of these guys who were sort of like hippie occultist weirdos that were coming into the comic book business in the early seventies. And one of them told me, I forget which one told me that they used to just like drop acid and just start wandering around New York city at night. And I'm just thinking like, Ooh, have fun. if I'm, if I'm, if I'm like dropping acid, I think the last place on earth I would want to be is New York city at night in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you just think of a worse fucking place to be? <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, and that's how you end up, you know, creating a character who worships death and wants to destroy half the, you know, living things in the galaxy. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's Starlin, but Starlin, oh, you, know, okay. you can't talk about any of these guys without talking about Kirby because you had say like Superman, Batman, flash, whatever. I mean, all these sort of characters and, and really, that's less in the forties and that's what they call the silver age in the late fifties. Right. And ironically, which is sort of concurrent with the whole Sputnik and all this kind of stuff. 
So that's sort of like the first first realization. That's like the first emanation of the superhero arch archetype. And then there's Kirby, you know, and you can't you can't talk about superheroes without somehow being filtered through Kirby. Because, for instance, Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's just a Jack Kirby movie. He just goes, oh, I don't like these stupid Justice League characters. I mean, what is this, the friggin' Super Friends? You know, fuck this shit. <laughs> oh, I'm going to yeah. make a Jack Kirby movie, you know? I mean, and even like the Watch, I mean, the Watchmen's obviously an Alan Moore story and is very faithful to Alan Moore. You know, but there's a lot of Kirby sensibility in that as well. So you can't talk about anything that happened after Jack Kirby in superheroes or comic books, you know, without, you know, it's like, you got to pay the toll. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, you know, like a mobster, you know, like a kingpin, like in the, in the daredevil comics, the kingpin would, would get it every, every time you scored a heist, no matter what it was, you know, whether you were just like stealing purses from old ladies or whatever you had to give the kingpin a, a slice of the take and it's like that's the kind of the way it is with kirby it's like you got to pay kirby tribute because none of this shit exists without him you know i mean really i mean, and again it's like the kind of thing well like if kirby didn't have stan lee i mean kirby would end up like steve ditko i mean steve ditko is just like spends most of his life sitting in an office in in new york that he you know was rent controlled and drawing comic books that nobody wants to read you know just spends all night and day just by himself is that what happened to him jesus yeah it's a really that. it's a really the creator really of spider-man my god yeah really sad but he's not the creator of spider-man and so um spider-man was created by stanley and jack i mean i'm by I'm sorry, by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby before. Really? Yeah. So they created a character called Spider-Man. And then through the, you know, the magic of the creative process, it became a character called the fly. But in the first issue of the fly, he fights a Spider-Man. I forget. I don't know if I remember his name is Spider-Man, but um, I mean, Joe Simon even designed a logo for Spider-Man. So really, Spider-Man is just, I mean, this is, this is comic books. It's just so incestuous and it's, everybody's knocking each other off all the time. But Ditko didn't really create Spider-Man. I mean, he defined Spider-Man. You know, his vision of Spider-Man was sort of the definitive version and sort of set the standard for everybody who came later, but he didn't create it. I mean, the character was created by, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby in the late fifties. Like, I think it was around 56 or so. And then again, it became this character called the fly, but it's just, it's the same concept. Yeah. I always thought that Spider-Man saved Marvel in during that period of time, because when I was a kid, Spider-Man was the big thing and Spidey and blah, 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 and fantastic four and all the other, the Hulk, they were okay too, but the Spider-Man seemed to be the most popular in, in that. Oh, era. he definitely, yeah, he definitely was. He definitely was the most char uh, popular character. And he was for a while. I mean, he was sort of the flagship character from Marvel for a very long time. You know, and and still is in some ways. I mean, his popularity has definitely decreased. But um, no, he was a very very popular character. I think he was probably you know 
probably was the best selling character at Marvel for certainly like the late sixties, mid mid to late sixties and, and into the seventies. Um, and they keep remaking the movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I like the, uh, the first few with the ones with Tobey Maguire, but I kind of checked out after that and now they got spider twink. So I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> spider, <twink. laughs> spider suck up. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's not really like, I don't know. Like I said, though, I, just, I don't care about these movies anymore. It, it really gets the point. Like, so um, I'm 50, I just turned 55. I started reading comic books when I was like three. I taught myself how to read uh, using comic books. And like all the stories that people go see now or we're going to see, you know, Endgame and all this stuff, it was all just like reiterations of stories that I'd read back in the 70s or the 80s. You know, I just don't care anymore. You know, it's like how many times can the Batman fight the Joker? You know, <laughs> Forever. It's an archetypal battle. But I think, I mean, I think people have forgotten too. I mean, I remember when WandaVision was out and some people were trying to figure out who the villain is. So you could tell these bloggers were talking about Mephisto. And they didn't even know. They were just looking at the Wikipedia and all that. They had no idea. I mean, I'm the kind of guy I actually read Mephisto against Kiss when it came out. So oh I've had a history with Mephisto. But most youngsters, they don't even know beyond the Wikipedia page. And were you like in a special class in school or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah go read I, this I Mephisto started. comic. He's fighting Kiss. Just go off in the corner there. He was, yeah, yeah. Gene Shaven's boots came out of his legs and attacked him. It was awesome. Yeah, I didn't watch any of that. I don't have Disney Plus, so I'm not going to watch it. Um, I'm just, I just don't miss it. Well, I tried watching like the Dare, like the stuff when the uh, Marvel TV universe was on Netflix. I tried watching. I was just like, ah, I just can't. This is just. What do you like these days? I'm interested in that. What would you like these days instead? Not that. You know, definitely not that. I, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. just, I have no interest. In, yeah. I have no interest in. Um, I mean, I still have like a nostalgic interest in the old comics that I, I liked as a kid, but it's not like I sit there and read them. You know, do you think maybe the comics are uh, have flipped over to video games and uh, especially these? Oh, absolutely, video games yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah, there's no question about it. Um, And that's something that that Kirby had kind of foreseen, you know, a very long time ago. You know, he'd seen that that evolution that the comics and superheroes would become more um, developed. I mean, he even um, sort of anticipated the whole like LARP thing, you know, Um, and in the strangest place, too. So this is an interesting story. So. What had happened is that Marvel had gotten a license to do 2001 A Space Odyssey. And Kirby did like a very strange adaptation of the movie um, in what was called the uh, Marvel Treasury Editions. And then um, as part of the deal, they were a- they were allowed to publish like 10 issues of, of a 2001 A Space Odyssey comic. So they gave it to Kirby and Kirby just like, you know, I mean, he was just completely out of his mind at this point in time. And he was just 
he didn't know what to say about this whole concept. It was just really strange. I mean, I loved it when I was a kid, but it's just, you know, looking back on those books, they're very like, what was he thinking? But one of the stories he did was um, this whole thing about these big, like LARPs where you pay to become a superhero and, and all this kind of stuff. And one of the guys who's doing like this whole cosplay LARP thing, you know, he encounters the monolith and in, in some like comic convention or something. It was just like the most bizarre story, but it's, it's just, it's really interesting too. It's just like Kirby's stuff got really weird and he started having a lot of trouble with his like eyes. And at one point I, in the early eighties, he had a stroke and his, his drawing really suffered because of it. So even when his stuff was like really wonky, it was always like really interesting. You could just tell his brains were just still firing and just all these bizarre places. And for instance, I mean, one of the stories he did in the early eighties, basically James Cameron came along and said, Oh, I'm going to just take this story and call it aliens. So the whole alien story Kirby had had done already in a book called Captain Victory and the um, Galactic Rangers, except for like these insectoid aliens, which don't look, you know, su substantially different from the aliens in the, you know, the xenomorphs in the movies, you know, they invade the earth and create these underground hives where they keep people as like food. And I mean, just this whole deal, it was just basically the same exact story. And uh, James Cameron just comes along and, and he had already ripped off uh, <laughs> the outer limits for the, for the Terminator. So, you know, why not? Right. Oh yeah. Really? Oh, he got sued for it too. And, Cause he was stupid. So, <clears throat> so he had done the Terminator, <laughs> right? Right. And then he had done an interview. I, I don't know. It was Pangori or Starlog or something. And he had said, Oh yeah. I, um, I got the idea for this whole Terminator thing from this oh. episode of the outer <laughs> limits written by harlan ellison and like oh, know, boy. no the, the the print had not even dried you know, on the issue <laughs> the phone calls right uh, and like harlan ellison's on the phone with his lawyers so um i don't know i don't know exactly how the uh rights and the credits and everything pan out on that but yeah he got a huge payout on that and it's just just the dumbest thing just to admit that you stole this idea because if he didn't say that nobody would have even noticed you know so there you go and then he rips off jack kirby for uh for aliens so well there you go awesome well this has been a great conversation and uh yeah i think we're at the end uh vance first of all thanks for keeping us company oh it's uh very fascinating i learned a lot about comics and now i don't think i'll flush anymore down the toilet no 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 <laughs> it's bad for the plumbing yeah definitely yeah. it was I probably like something that. that would be worth a million dollars today vans yeah sure. you're a homeowner now so you have to pay for the plumbing <laughs> right <laughs> right so exactly awesome well chris i really appreciate you doing this because i think we can't get enough of kirby and the he can't be forgotten and especially with the eternals coming out this year let's let's keep his memory alive yeah especially with his reputation and his legacy about to be dragged through the muck mm -hmm. with the eternals movie yeah but, yeah, but listen yeah. maybe i'll be surprised i mean who knows right yeah you never know but i mean Hope it's still stupid it's like 
we don't get involved in human affairs unless it's important. Well, what's more important than Thanos destroying half of the galaxy? I mean, I'm like, when do yeah, you get involved? In, we don't get involved in human affairs, but we just, you know, we built the pyramids for them. <laughs> yes, we help you to hunt and write. And- well, I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know if you have any millennials listening to your show, but this is what you get when you hire millennial writers. You just get, you know, you get trash that... um is very poorly researched and and illogical and that's that's going to be the death i mean that is the death like i said we're we're talking about kirby at the right time because it's like his age is now coming to a close you know i'm I'm convinced of it and uh and like i said i've been working i started working in the comic book industry when i was 17 years old right i was you know i was uh, working at New England comics, the guys who published the tick. So like I've been in, I've been in working in this, this whole milieu, this whole environment since I was in high school. Okay. And I am more qualified than anyone else to just say it's over. It's over. over. It's time has passed and it's good. Like we should just let it pass. Like the worst thing that happens is like when something's time has passed and you just keep it, you, you try to reanimate the corpse and that just becomes humiliating and embarrassing for everyone involved. I hear you. And I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm ready for something else. Well, Chris, as always, it's great having you back on Aeon Byte, and I'm sure we will be talking sooner rather than later. Rock and roll. All night. All night long and party (laughs) every day. Oh, no. (laughs) And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. Chris burning down so many houses so we may see the open sky. In our second part, we'll get more into Kirby. I mean, could Kirby have been involved in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey? Chris will parallel the Gnosticism of Kirby to the Gnosticism of Philip K. Dick and provide the various religious and philosophical influences on Kirby. Then Chris will reveal some of Kirby's predictions that came true today. We'll also continue discussing the death of the comic book hero, which includes the end of the comic book movie, and much more. So please subscribe to get the full comic book saga. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. Or you can now subscribe to the easy-to-use private RSS feed from Red Circle, found in the show notes for less than $5 per month. And you'll get the last 200 shows in the podcast provider of your choice. And it takes Stripe, since many of you disdain Patreon or PayPal. No matter where you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode. And that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership to AB Prime or Patreon mid-levels include full access to more than 500 quality shows. You'll get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and my Discord channel. 
even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the U.S. mail really, really helps. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to donate via Stripe. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list. Finding Hermes is going strong, and so are our virtual Alexandria exclusive private meetings that include exercises loyal to the ancient Gnostics and a monthly intimate Q&A. If you want to understand and experience Gnosticism in its full impact and liberating secrets, become an official citizen of the virtual Alexandria. We've recently done presentations on Gnostic non-dualism, the Gnostic Mary Magdalene, the secrets of the serpent Gnostics, and sex magic. Quite a variety, eh? Woo! I know that's a lot, but I gotta stay spread out, as the Archons are always there to cancel my ass. If you need help with all of these choices, just message me. I'm always here to help and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.